Uh, if anyone was struggling with insomnia last night, did you get a chance to watch the council meeting that went to midnight? Well, 1130. Whew, wasn't that great? <laughs> oh, oh. So we were, we were dealing with oak trees last night in the city of Thousand Oaks. And, um, and great concern over the oak trees, and, and rightfully so. You know, a nation grows great whose citizens plant trees of which shade they'll never know. And uh, going through Ireland, uh, realizing that that used to be, the entire portion of Ireland used to be an oak forest, but the British realized that you can only formulate a navy with, with oak, and so they chopped down all the oak trees to subdue their, uh, the, the Irish. And uh, you don't see oak trees much in Ireland anymore, except for in the estates of the wealthy in Northern Ireland. And, and here we live in a town that once was an oak forest, and and then we have homeowners that have oak trees and they're, you know, they, they want to build a patio or a pool, but there's an oak tree that's protected. And, and it's an interesting city and an interesting dynamic. And uh, sitting and listening to people go back and forth. And, and what was fascinating to me is I'd asked for a lot of prayer because there were a number of folks that were at the meeting uh, that night that were, were kind of uh, part of the issue with the, um, uh, the writing of the letter. I, I, I can't really pin them together, but I know that they're all kind of involved with um, advocating for Planned Parenthood. And the, the person who wrote the uh, letter, the adverse letter about me was not there last night. I thought that I know of, I've never met them in person, but a couple of folks that probably go in those circles was there. And they happen to be the same ones that are advocates for protecting oak trees. And I, I admire their zeal and, and their fervency that they would come. And, and one lady in her probably in her 80s, endured the entire meeting, um, even sitting with the, the reallocation of zoning ordinances and the like um, for the downtown redevelopment. And I'm fascinated by the passion. Well, we had taken a break, and uh, I had been praying, asking God to give me a heart for those folks, and, and uh, I started giving out some chocolate-covered almonds or something like that. And um, one in particular I had a conversation with, and I had actually grabbed an acorn, um, and, and I knew it was a coastal acorn and I held it in my hand and I said, what's this? I said, well, this is a coastal acorn. And I said, I said, if I plant it, is it going to make a palm tree? And they go, no, silly. It's going to be a coastal oak. And, and I said, I just wanted to tell you as passionate as you are about oaks is how passionate I am about the unborn. And that little baby is going to be a human being and it is a human being. Can't be anything else. And she looked at me, and to her credit, she said, that's compelling, but that's a conversation for another time. <laughs> but this is the idea that, that, you know, I could have been angry, and, and, and my desire was to want to hear their heart for the trees. Everybody has a passion. But, but the idea is to find commonality and to be prepared in season and out of season, give reason for the faith that, and the hope that lies within you. So you're always trying to minister as God opens those doors. And you, you need to be patient with that. And I, I ask for wisdom on how to do that. And, and I have to tell you, the folks that present, presented last night were very kind. Uh, there were a couple folks that were, you know, I'm sure they were opinionated, but there was civility. And then finally, as we get into the passage, I want to share this because it ties in. I was laboring. I, I haven't been a part of all that assembled for this oak tree ordinance. And I, I came into it late. I wasn't part of the ad, ad hoc committee. And I'm asking to vote on an ordinance that I, I struggle with. I struggled with the ordinance, and I wasn't aware that it was either an upvote or a downvote. I didn't realize that we could go on each of the issues, and, and the Brown Act uh, doesn't allow me to converse with more than one other city council member, and I had called Mayor Adam to ask him, and he said, I've already conversed with another council member. I couldn't get in touch with the other two, uh, and one was sick, and so I went in just trying to figure out how to navigate this, not knowing that it wasn't an up-down vote, but we could go issue by issue. And as I was praying, and I'd asked a number of people to pray just for wisdom, because not only was I dealing with an issue that I know was important to a number of folks, but I'm, I'm, con I'm interacting with a group of folks that were contentious in relation to me in another area. And I wanted to, to serve them. And uh, I'm praying and I'm praying and I'm, I find myself quiet and doing a lot of listening in the council meetings. And Andy leans over, Andy Fox, council member Andy Fox, and he says, Rob, he said, I'll put something together that even you as a pastor will be content with. 
And I said, Andy, I'm compelled by these folks, but I'm also moved by, by, by private property. And, and uh, this is a tough, he says, I'll put it together. And I said, all right, all right, because I'm, I'm leaning towards just striking. He says, you don't have to strike it down because this will just go on forever. It'd be a zoo. I said, okay. And sure enough, I mean, whether you like him or don't like him, I have to tell you, having served as long as he has on the city council, uh, he's, he's wise in matters on how to put things together. And it went all the way down the line. Claudia was moved by it. Mayor Adam, Al was moved by it. And to date, as long as I've served on this council, every vote has been unanimous. Now, we haven't agreed on every issue, but every vote has been unanimous. And that's the idea of it says in Ephesians, endeavor to keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. Just listening, working through those, coming to a consensus. And that's how, in, in civil government, that's important, but more importantly, in the body of Christ. And you're going to come up against contentious issues that will want to divide the body. And, and how much more as we sit before civil government, how much more as we stand before the God of the universe who has delivered us from death unto life, that we would endeavor to keep that unity? We enter into a church and exit a church like we change clothes. This is a covenant. It's a body. And we stay with it. And we endeavor. And, and we're going to see here that in Acts chapter 10... We saw Joppa and Caesarea, and we saw Paul going into Cornelius' house. We watched the Pentecost of, of the Gentile world. The Spirit descended. They're all speaking in tongues. It is a massive outpouring of God's Spirit upon the Gentile world. Gentile, mind you, is not Samaritan. Gentile is completely non-Jewish, not even partially Jewish, despised, and not just Gentiles, but Roman Gentiles, not just Gentiles, not just Roman Gentiles, but a centurion of the Italian regiment, which is the most vile that, that Peter shouldn't have any contact with. And we've lost contact with Paul as he's gone off to Tarsus. A good uh, seven to ten years has passed, and we're going to pick up again in chapter 11 as he returns to the scene because Barnabas is going to go hunt him down and find him and bring him back. But watch what Peter faces. Now, God's outpouring, God's outpouring, okay? The outpouring of his spirit and, and an absolute transformation of, of Cornelius' household. And let's see how the church responds to it. But before we get into the word, it's Acts 11. If you need a Bible, Mr. Sauron's got one for you. Mike has got some. Raise your hand. They'll get you a Bible. Acts 11. Acts chapter 11 up here. Hi. We need front row. That's the splash zone. <laughs> right here right here oh they got it okay never mind well there's two all right acts chapter 11 <clears throat> lord we ask your blessing on the study of your word guide and direct us lead us into all truth we pray in jesus name amen by the way what do you call a believer in jesus christ what does the world call us Christians. No, they don't call us saints. <laughs> they call us saints, but that's, no, Christians. They call us Christians. By the way, the term Christian, first time it appears is right here in Acts chapter 11. The very first time they're called Christians is in Antioch. The reason why is because Paul and Barnabas took time to teach those folks, and this term Christian comes about. Uh, if you were an Antiochian, you were associated with Antioch. If you were Caes uh, Caesarean, you were associated with Caesar. If you were, you go through the whole line it's being associated with. So they'd had a number of names for Christians, the people of the way, uh, on and on and on, and they were derogatory, but it was here in chapter 11 that we get the term that we hold today, Christian. So I thought that'd be something you'd be excited about. All right, Acts chapter 11. The apostles and the other believers throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God. Now, news like that travels quickly. Uh, oftentimes, um, has anyone heard, you know, Pastor Dongo, the man who was missing two fingers, and he's spoken, he passed away. He went to be with the Lord. Uh, he actually began living, actually, fully living. Uh, and and I, I'm very close with Pastor Fred Kimbangaya and, and uh, uh, Lamek Lumala, and, and I heard from Sandy Sourman, uh, came through a text. And news travels quickly, uh, and it was in Uganda, and yet I, I heard from somebody here locally, and, and this is the idea. There's an outpouring of the Spirit in Joppa and, and, and in Caesarea, and here in Jerusalem and in Judea, the word's already gotten down that the Gentiles have received the word of God. When Peter went to Jerusalem, those who were in favor of circumcising Gentiles criticized him, saying, you were a guest in the home 
of uncircumcised Gentiles, and you even ate with them. So for any of you who are thinking that Peter didn't engage in, in uh, non-kosher foods, this text shows you that that, that portion of Acts was legitimate. The, the vision of the sheet had to do with food as much as it had to do with people. And it's, it's testified to here. Not only did you um, dwell with the uncircumcised, you ate with them. And the idea is ate is shared similar food. All right, so for those of you who are legalists that believe we're supposed to be on a kosher diet, it doesn't work. And we're dealing with this in Acts chapter 11. And, and, and they, they, so they gave, so Peter gave them a complete account of what had happened from the very beginning, verse 4. But let me stop there for a minute for the first three verses. They were more concerned with what Peter did than with what the Lord had done. Let me give you an example. I shared this last week, but it's one to emphasize. I sit on a dais with Reverend Dr. Jeremiah Wright. We have heard endlessly on the Sean Hannity show his, his sermon on Amos, Goddamn America. Has anyone ever listened to the sermon in context? Anyone? You heard it in context, the entirety of the sermon? Okay. The entirety of the sermon is a really good sermon. And taking that clip is not fair. Now, that's not saying that Reverend Dr. Jeremiah Wright, his theology, I fully disagree with it. I'm not a liberation theologist. He doesn't believe in the inerrancy of the word. I I struggle with, uh, he's he's pro-Palestinian, anti-Jewish. I struggle with probably everything. But that was out of context. And it's every night I heard it endlessly. I guess to the point I turned it off. And a couple of people made issue that I sat with them on the dais. And then I got a clip, and I got kind of offended by the clip that was sent to me. It was showing Reverend Dr. Jeremiah Wright speaking anti-Palestinian or anti-Jewish, pro-Palestinian issues in front of a Muslim crowd, as though I'm supposed to. I already know all this, but it was being. I, I assumed it was being sent to me because it's why are you associating? And I immediately responded by saying, "Do you know anything about Reverend Dr. Jeremiah Wright and the simple fact that?" He trained under Dr. Proctor. Dr. Proctor was a lieutenant, uh, one of the assistants to Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. And Dr. Proctor trained at a very liberal uh, seminary. And the reason why he trained at a liberal seminary is because the conservative seminaries wouldn't allow a black man in. And then Reverend Dr. Jeremiah Wright served as a corpsman in the United States Navy for the 2nd Marine Division. And having served as a corpsman for Marines in the 2nd Marine Division, he faced massive racism and then ended up going to the seminary of his mentor. And, and now we have somebody who is struggling with the inerrancy of God's word, pro-Palestinian, anti-Jewish, all this laid out. My question is, well, the ones that had the solid theology, why weren't they in the inner city ministering? Why weren't they there allowing them in? What was the separation, the color of their skin? So we, we create a monster and we decry its existence. Now you say, well, that doesn't exist in the body of Christ. It existed in the very first century church. The Holy Spirit had descended and they're more concerned with him eating with Gentiles than they are with what God had done to deliver them. Do you see how biased we can be? And we have to allow our heart to be stretched. I'm not saying at the expense of the truth, but certainly at the expense of of our prejudice. I mean, he breaks down every wall. And Peter stands in front of them and he gives an entire account without anger. So first of all, the anger of man does not accomplish the righteousness of God. So as you, And this is a struggle for me. You stand up in defense of what God desires, right? And then the church attacks you or is silent. We stand for the defense of the unborn. I didn't get a single call from any minister or anyone in the CPC. Not one. Not one Christian. But I did hear from Chase Rashid's mother and Mike Dunn. Now, those are both believers, yes. One was my opponent's mother. 
and the other was a city uh, school board member. I got a call for the fundraiser for the CPC. And you get to a place where your heart gets embittered. And guess who's sinning? Me. Me. Because Peter doesn't jump on them. He instructs them lovingly and patiently. People are not the enemy. They're opportunities in both areas. That's how you endeavor. You tracking me? So Peter says, listen, let me explain it to you so you can see it the way I saw it. He says, while I was praying in the city of Joppa, I had a vision. I saw something coming down that looked like a large sheet lowered by its four corners from heaven, and it stopped next to me. I looked closely inside and saw domesticated and wild animals, reptiles and wild birds. Then I heard a voice saying to me, get up, Peter, kill and eat. By the way, is Peter just a regular Joe? No, he's an apostle. There's some authority here. And he's laying this out, but I said, certainly not, Lord. No ritually unclean or defiled food has ever entered my mouth. The voice spoke again from heaven, do not consider anything unclean that God has declared clean. This happened three times, and finally the whole thing was drawn back up into heaven. At that very moment, three men who were sent to me from Caesarea arrived at the house. We studied this last week. Where I was staying, the Spirit told me to go with them without hesitation. I didn't know where I was going or why. I just knew I was supposed to go. These six fellow believers from Joppa accompanied me to Caesarea. We all went into the house of Cornelius. By the way, when he states that word, you can imagine everyone in that congregation was frozen. Cornelius, a centurion of the the Italian regiment? He told us how he had seen an angel standing in his house who had said to him, send someone to Joppa for a man whose, whose full name is Simon Peter. He will speak words to you by which you and all your family will be saved. And when I began to speak, the Holy Spirit came down on them just as it had at the beginning. And then I remember what the Lord had said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. It is clear that God gave those Gentiles the same gift that he gave us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who, I, who was I then to try to stop God. He lays it out. It's like the blind man, when they asked him, are you blind because of your sin or your parents' sin? He says, look, I don't have any idea what you're talking about. All I know is that I was once blind, now I see, and that guy over there, Jesus Christ, is the one who healed me. All Peter is testifying to is what he knows. You don't have to make it up. You don't have to do God favors. You don't have to make up fake stories. You just testify to what you know. You don't have to be an apologist for the Christian faith. You don't have to be a scientist. You just testify to what you know. God will take the rest. He says, when they heard this, they stopped their criticism and praised God, saying "Then God has given to the Gentiles also the opportunity to repent and live. You know how hard it was for me to walk up to some of those folks last night? And you know how much God loves them? I want, you to take a, I want you to take a group of folks that you were frightened of, and I want you to reach out to them. Stretch yourself a little bit. You know, when I was, when I was telling uh, Bishop Huggins, I said, this was my reaction when I saw that video about Dr. Reverend Dr. Jeremiah Wright, he said, Rob, I disagree with his theology too, but he's my friend. And he said, Rob, I went to a seminary and I was the only black man at the seminary. And I ended up leaving because it was awful. He said, I I was beaten up in Stockton by a group of white kids. I said, you know, Bishop Huggins, I grew up in Coronado. It was, you know, I was a marshmallow growing up in milk. And why are we talking? I mean, you're even a Democrat. <laughs> and and pro-choice was. He's moved. And 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 not pro-choice because, you know, he's fervent, more concerned with other issues. And as we shared the story, he started to grasp it. Like Peter, he took time to explain it. If somebody has an opposing view, don't get angry. 
just lovingly share. And, and that's why the Lord commands in 1 Corinthians 5 to keep company with the folks of this world. And he, and he, and, and he said, well, what do you mean the folks of this world? Uh, the, the best and the worst. When I say this world, I mean other than Christians. I'm not saying that Bishop Huggins isn't a Christian. He is. He's a believer. I'm saying of this world. And, and we've gone down the list. 1 Corinthians 5. Who are the, the people of this world? He says, keep company with the sexually immoral. It means do business with. And, and uh, not so. I don't touch anything unclean. Somebody asked, my friend does yoga, and, and I know that yoga is, a, is an Eastern form of worship. I, I, I'm, I'm struggling whether or not to participate. And, and I said, well, 1 Corinthians 10.28, the Apostle Paul spoke about eating food sacrificed to idols. And they, re- they replied back, are you joking? I don't know if you're joking. Sometimes I don't understand you. I don't get you. I said, I'm not joking. It's a, it's a tie-in. Uh, the idea is, what does yoga mean to you? Well, it's like stretching. I said, that's right. It's stretching. And, and I want you to turn to your friend who's not a believer that you were saying you were struggling with and say to them, I like doing yoga with you because I get to be with you. And, and God has given me the freedom to do that with you. I don't see it for its deeper meanings that the world puts on it. I just look at it as stretching and an opportunity to be with you. That'll blow them away. We have liberty in Christ. All things are permissible. Not all things are profitable. You need to know where you have that liberty. There are weaker brethren. You need to understand that. I mean, if you struggle with alcoholism, you, you, you have the liberty not to go back into a bar, right? You had a problem. You were in bondage to go into a bar. Now you have liberty to stay out of the bar. So I would advise you would exercise that liberty instead of step into that bondage. Are you tracking me? And so when you keep company with folks like this, you have the opportunity to minister. In the same regard to the church, a gentle answer turns away wrath. Don't just go, oh, to hell with this church. I'm leaving. I'm offended. It does nobody any good. Relationships are severed. Hearts are broken. Nothing is ever resolved You go through life living that way. Every relationship is shallow. It's all self-consumed and self-centered. Endeavor, build deep abiding relationships in your life and in the body of Christ. Don't give up. Even when you're offended. You have to choose to be offended, yes? And so he takes time to explain all this to the point where they stop their criticism and they praise God. Peter, thank you for taking time to do this. Praise the Lord. This is rocking. I'm blown away by this. And so, as he explained all this, and Peter talked about the Holy Spirit descending upon the Gentiles, they were moved. And now watch what happens. Now we're going to transition. We lost Paul for a a number of years. And uh, now we're picking up again. Uh, We'll look at verses... uh, Oh, first of all, then, then God, they, they praise God saying, then God has given to the Gentiles also the opportunity to repent and live. So it's, it's the best that could come out of their mouth. You know, the Holy Spirit's descended and they're just like us. Well, he's given them the opportunity to repent and live. Um, and take what you can get and work with it, right? That's a start. Uh, verse 19, now those who were scattered after the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia, uh, Cyprus, and Antioch preaching the word to no one but the Jews only. But some of them were from Cyprus and Cyrene, who, when they had come to Antioch, spoke to the Hellenists, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number believed and turned to the Lord. By the way, uh, who's famous in the uh, cadre of, of Bible people from Cyprus? Anyone know? Well, Simon the Cyrenian, he's the one who helped carry the cross. Cyprus. Barnabas. And guess who else is from Cyprus? Well, not Bible times, but the Maddoxes, our missionaries. Emma, Abby, Tim, and Darlene. Call them and tell them you thought about them tonight. So they were only preaching the word to Jews only, and... um, 
And there's unnamed disciples from Cyprus and, and uh, uh, Cyrene. It could be uh, Simon the Cyrenian. It could be the one that helped carry the cross. By the way, um, the idea of a Cyrenian, he would be black as a billiard ball. Um, and for those who think that the gospel came through Europe and that's went down to Africa, we've gone through this. I mean, you have the Ethiopian eunuch who takes the gospel and the term Ethiopia was a generic term for Africa. So it goes down there. Uh, when we heard Neil Maman share, um, you know, you, you had the gospel go into, into India in, in 51 AD. So, uh, here you have Simon the Cyrenian and, and, and the gospel spreading throughout the entire region, but it's a mission to the Gentiles. Uh, and, and Gentiles were called Hellenists, and it could also include Hellenistic Jews. So you had, you had Hebraic Jews and Hellenistic Jews, and Hellenists just means that they were influenced by the Greek culture. Uh, but most of the, this term Hellenist, instead of attaching the word Jew, means Hellenists. They were Greeks. Uh, they, were, they were fully in, in, ingrained in Greek mythology, Greek gods and goddesses. Um, and and I, the fascinating thing about the Greek culture if the, the, and this, they were pretty smart this way. At least they were honest. If something possessed them, anyone ever had an addiction? Raise your hand, please. All right. And, okay, come on. Put them up. Put them up. Don't be ashamed. You're a new creature in Christ. All right. Anyone currently have? No, I'm just kidding. No. <laughs> <laughs> so with, this, with these addictions, the Greeks and the Romans, the Romans took note from them and just changed all the Greek gods to Roman gods. But what they did is they took these addictions and they just made them gods. So if, you're out, if your struggle was with alcohol, you now worship Bacchus. If you have a sex addiction, it's Aphrodite or Diana. And, and they just attached, you know, these minor gods, small g, with your addiction because you were possessed and controlled by them. And, and you just turned it into an act of worship and you become like that which you worship. And, and so as you, you know, Mars is the god of war, I think it is. You worship war, I, 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 Second Amendment, I don't know, whatever it is. I, not that you're a war, warrior, but you know, this idea that, you know, our civil rights and, and our First Amendment and our Second Amendment and and you remove God, and it's all about the amendments, and the Constitution is a, a biblical document, and you just kind of jettison the, you know, that's, that's an act of worship where you remove God from that kind of portion. Well, this is, this is the Hellenists. They, they, they understood what it was like to worship. Now, let me ask you this. For those of you who put your hand up with addiction, did you come to a place where you realized the return wasn't worth the investment? Yeah? I mean, if it was really worth the investment, we wouldn't be in church right now. Yes or no? You get to a place where you realize, this is killing me, and I don't like who I am. And it promised me this, but left me here. And in that emptiness, the Bible says, in our weakness, God's strength is made perfect. And in that brokenness, and in that humility, and in that confession, and humility before honor... Then the Lord comes in, and, and what he says is, none of these gods can sustain you, small g. And in that emptiness, where sin abounds, grace abounds even more. The exciting thing right now to be living in this age, for those of you who are depressed and you're, you've been listening to the news too much, the exciting thing about being alive right now where the debt is through the roof because we've worshipped prosperity and materialism, right? And government is expanding because that's been our God. And, and uh, entertainment has left you empty and there's just nothing on in the 600 channels you have. <laughs> and the endless YouTube video clips that you've gone through endlessly and you, you, you laugh and now it just doesn't do it for you. And all the music and, and I mean, you could stay awake endlessly just... <laughs> and it's not doing it. And you're getting more and more empty. And in the, in the morass of these gods and they're everywhere you are empty and the beauty of it is you come to a place where you go god help me lord help me and here these folks are ministering and these believers that are scattered and they were scattered by the way do you remember when stephen was crucified not crucified when stephen was stoned and then they began to persecute them and press it. And who was the one who was sent? It was, it was Saul. 
and he went out to go kill the Christians and then he's converted on the road to Damascus and then we lose him for about 10 years and now he's in Tarsus and he's, he's been in the deserts for a while and he's still going to be in Antioch for a season as well. But there is, there's a smattering of revival happening. Now we have a, a revival in Caesarea and now we're seeing uh, an outbreak of, of revival when they, they went to Antioch and they proclaimed the message to the Gentiles and telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. Verse 21, the Lord's power was with them and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. So, so now the, the, the scenery is changing from Peter and it's going to come to Paul. But before we get to that, for those of you who think that, that Peter stood in opposition to the church, I want to tell you one more thing before we finish the chapter tonight. And this is an application because this is the danger. This is the danger of endeavoring to keep the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. Part of that requires that if it's possible with you, live at peace with all men. Sometimes peace means yielding. And when you're in a position of strength, you can, you can yield. You can give if, it's going to, if somebody recognizes the strength you possess. And there's this, there's this back and forth that happens. Oftentimes, um, I've, I've said to people who are struggling over legislative issues in, in the federal government or in the state government or even in the local government, you, you take a, a, a mark, uh, a point, let's, let's say this right here, this this uh, outlet. So, so if, you're, if you operate legislatively, everything you do as a legislator is, is to go towards that point that you have set out, that goal, that direction. And so you are, you are working with people of opposing views or like views, and you're trying to move this body, this representative body, towards that direction. It's the same thing you're trying to do as Christians in this community is influence people towards Christ. And so everything you're working towards is developing relationships, getting people to step towards the direction that will set them free. You'll know the truth. The truth will set you free. Blessed is a nation whose God is the Lord, right? Sin is a reproach to any people. And so when, when the righteous rule, the people rejoice. When the wicked rule, the people groan. And so you're moving people in this direction of liberty, as the apostle Paul says, stand fast therefore in the liberty for which Christ has set you free. And you're moving people in this direction now. What happens is this, people will stand in opposition and you look at the secondary cause. Do you remember the secondary cause that we saw on, sun, on Sunday morning? The secondary cause? Peter was upset because the, the, the fiery serpent was descending into the garden of Gethsemane. Now Jesus had spent all night praying and he knew the primary cause was he was right in the will of God, the Father, and he stood between them and the disciples and he says, who is it you're looking for? And he says, I'm Jesus of Nazareth. I am. And then they threw them all back and then they reassembled. He said, who are you looking for? And they repeated it again. He said, I am. And he said, leave them alone. And he, he did that. Do you remember? What did Peter do? Peter came out with a sword and lopped off the ear. He was concerned with the secondary cause, not the primary cause, which was the will of the father. He was concerned with the combat issue. If you are not prayerful, you will be more concerned with the secondary cause than you are with what God is desiring to accomplish. A perfect example was uh, I was with Shannon Grove and we were at the California Republican Party convention and the log cabin Republicans wanted to be a part of the California Republican Party. It's the homosexual portion of the Republican Party. And they wanted to be a recognized club and they did all kinds of things to make it happen. Shannon Grove stood in opposition and uh, about a seventh of the room stood with her and they got obliterated. And all the folks that were with her were disillusioned, angry. They wanted to quit. They wanted, and I turned to Shannon and I said, how did you get, how were you figuring to get to that point with the position you took? What was your exit strategy? What was your, what was your strategy of victory? How are you getting people in this direction while standing for righteousness? And I said, okay, it's one way to do it. It's like a Pickett's Charge where Pickett charges the cannons in, in Gettysburg and, and, and it was noble and it was exciting and, and everybody got killed. I said, did you gain more than you lost? She says, it's to be determined. And so my point is challenging every person to focus on how you can move people in the direction of Christ. Lifting up Christ that all men would be drawn unto him. And that's how you operate. And you're not influenced by the secondary cause. But sometimes if you're not prayerful, you, you, you think that you're avoiding the secondary cause and you're, you're, you're missing the purpose of the Lord in all of it. My, my point is this. Peter stood and clearly defined that these folks who were Gentiles had come to Christ and the Spirit had descended upon them. And, and, and they got it. 
But now, Peter, we're going to see in, in, in um, oh, chapter 15, I think it is. I hope I put it down. Yeah, Peter ends up uh, siding with the legalists. And, and the Apostle Paul, it's actually in Galatians 2, the Apostle Paul in Antioch smacks down on, on Peter. I'll read it to you. When Peter came to Antioch, Paul said, I opposed him in public because he was clearly wrong. Now, sometimes you've got to be firm. You're clearly wrong. And you say with a smile and with love in your heart, but you're clearly wrong. Before some men who had been sent by James arrived there, Peter had been eating with the Gentile believers. But after these men arrived, he drew back and would not eat with the Gentiles because he was afraid of those who were in favor of circumcising them. So he'd be eating with the Gentiles. Some of these legalists would come in and Peter would like move away from the table. What's he doing? He's compromising the truth for the sake of... (laughs) People think that peace is the absence of conflict. People think that peace is the absence of argument. Peace is the presence of Christ in the midst of the argument. Peter, stand firm, steadfast in in, in that faith. And he wavers, and, and Paul says to him, you need to trim your sails and tighten it up. But when these legalists would come in, Peter would move away from the table and just throw them under the bus. Well, I don't know what the, why they were eating. I don't even know why they're in the room. I mean, they're believers and all, but I, I didn't touch any of that food, if you know. Because these folks were the established church and they had the money. They had the money. These folks were believers didn't have any money. They're new. You're looking at a secondary cause of temptation as opposed to the will of God. And sometimes it's going to cost you something, but you stand firm anyways. You see the challenge to a believer? And, and so Paul says you're dead wrong. Um, and then verse 13 of, of Galatians 2, the other Jewish believers also started acting like cowards along with Peter. And even Barnabas, Barnabas, the son of encouragement, who's, who, who, who saved Paul, even Barnabas was swept along by their cowardly action. When I saw that they were not walking a straight path in line with the truth. It, it means orthopedeo, which means walking straight, not like, you know, orthopedeo, walking straight. When they weren't walking in accordance with the, will, with the will of God, the primary purpose, and they were acting like cowards because they were more concerned with, their, with, with the opinion of man than they were with the will of God. I said to Peter in front of them all, you are a Jew, yet you have been living like a Gentile, not like a Jew. How then can you try to force Gentiles to live like Jews? I mean, you... You're so compromising, you're compromising for the sake of being a chameleon. There's no conviction. Why do you eat with Gentiles? I eat with Gentiles because God gave me this vision in Acts chapter 10 that what I have called clean, you cannot call unclean. And all food is open to me, all things are permissible, not all things are profitable. That's why I do it. I have the freedom and the liberty to do it. Well, then why do you move away from them when the legalists come in, which are uh, opposing the word of God? Well, because I'm, I'm affiliated with, I, I kind of have a heart for them. I, I, yeah, you may have a heart for them, but why are you compromising the truth? You tracking me? This is the danger of trying to get to that point. You've got to walk in balance. He says, I said to Peter in front of them all, you are Jew, yet you've been living like a Gentile not like a Jew. How then can you force Gentiles to live like Jews? Indeed, we are Jews by birth, not Gentile sinners as they are called. Yet we know that a person is put right with God only through faith in Jesus Christ. So Paul goes on to describe why is it we're righteous? Is it because we observe the law or because Christ has imputed his righteousness to us? Never by doing what the law requires. We too have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be put right with God through our faith in Christ and not by doing what the law requires. For no one is put right with God by doing what the law requires. If then, as we try to be put right with God by our union with Christ, we are found to be sinners as much as the Gentiles are. Does this mean that Christ is serving the cause of sin? By no means. If I start to rebuild the system of the law that I tore down, then I show myself to be someone who breaks the law. What Paul is saying is, look, Keep company with the world. You have the freedom to be there. But tell them why you're there. You have liberty. And if people that, that are legalists or, or a church and you understand kind of their, their social strata and structure, 
Don't try to, to put that off so that you can appeal to them by compromising the truth. Stand in both areas firmly in the will of God, not trying to, to compromise in the secondary issue. Any questions on that? Do you grasp that? Because it's important, especially as we're called to navigate this world. It's, become, it's going to become more and more non-Christian. And if we're going to have an influence, we need to understand how you walk in this world. I'll, I'll just read this last part of Galatians 2. Paul wrote, So far as the law is concerned, however, I am dead, killed by the law itself, in order that I might live for Christ. I, Apostle Paul says, I've been crucified. I have been put to death with Christ on his cross, so that it is no longer I who live, but it is Christ who lives in me. This life that I live now, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave his life for me. I refuse to reject the grace of God, but if a person is put right with God through the law, it means that Christ died for nothing. What makes you and I righteous? The fact that we believe in, in uh, traditional marriage? The fact that we're pro-life? What makes us righteous? The fact that we read our Bibles? The fact that we don't drink alcohol? The fact that we only drink a little alcohol? What makes us righteous? That we go to church on Sunday or Saturday? What makes us righteous? Jesus' righteousness is put on our account. We receive that by grace through faith. It's a gift of God, not of works. Nobody in this room is righteous because of what you have done. Nobody. As a matter of fact, your flesh is just as filthy as the non-believer's flesh the only good thing in you is Jesus. Now, don't say amen so you can continue in sin that grace may abound. Amen? <laughs> the idea is, let them see Christ. Rob McCoy is crucified. I'm not righteous because I observe the law. That doesn't impress anybody. And you know why we want people to think that we're righteous because we observe the law? Because we don't want people to see the truth that we are a, a wretch. So we try to impress them by defining ourselves by what we don't do. And when the church gets to a place that it defines itself by what it doesn't do, we are losing. The only way that you know who someone is is you define them by what they're doing. And so this is what the Apostle Paul says. And he addressed it with Peter. So Peter's, and every one of you, including myself in this room, we're going to have to be corrected in this in the course of our lifetime. We're going to fluctuate, like my weight. I thought that was funnier. So uh, let's pick up. Um, oh, I'm sorry. I, I printed out the wrong one. I'll, I'll, I got it. I'll go to the... Thank you for saying that so late into the sermon. Yeah, I, I have a terrible translation. I printed the wrong one. My bad. All right, uh, I thought I printed the right one. I didn't. I don't even want to tell you which one I was using. It's the nearly inspired version. I am so embarrassed. Uh, let's pick up at verse 25. Barnabas, um, at this point, the, the, uh, verse 24 um, for he's a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith, and a great many were added to the Lord. Um, this is Barnabas. Let's, let's pick up with Barnabas, verse 22. The news of these things came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent out Barnabas to go as far as Antioch. And when he, had, when he came and had seen the grace of God, he was glad and encouraged them all with a purpose of heart that they should continue in the Lord. So Barnabas is sent to minister to this Gentile church and, and to continue in the Lord. And then, for he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith, and a great many people believed and were added to the Lord. Barnabas is a pretty cool guy. Uh, we see him continually through the scriptures, um, you know, just, just serving left and right. He was an able man. He was sent in Acts chapter 4, as you recall. Uh, he accepted Saul of Tarsus when he was converted in Acts 9. Uh, he is, he's just a solid guy. So they figure, let's send him. He goes out there to minister to these folks. And, uh, and a great many people are added to the Lord at this point. Now he realizes 
as he's encouraged them in the heart to serve the Lord and, and more people come to Christ, he realizes at this point it's probably going to be good to, to have some backup. So watch this. Then Barnabas, uh, verse 25. Um, then Barnabas departed for Tarsus to seek Saul. And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. Now, Tarsus is, if we have to guess, it's probably Spain. So, so he spent time in, in the desert. Now he's in Spain, and he's going to spend two years in Antioch. So he is, he's been getting a BSD degree, a backside of the desert, after his conversion. And the entire time, he's probably just pouring into the word. So it was for a whole year that they assembled with the church and taught a great many people. And the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. Isn't that kind of cool? The first time they were called Christians were in Antioch. Uh, now, by the way, when it says that Barnabas departed to Tarsus to seek Saul, that word seek, it's really cool in the Greek. It means he had to hunt him down. He, he had to really go deep undercover and find where this guy was. Have you ever heard the, the Naval Academy's term, get the message to Garcia? Uh, General Garcia was in Cuba, and they needed to get a message to him, and I can't remember the man that they assigned it to. It's, it's left me now, but he, he said, um, get the message to Garcia. Uh, this has to happen. And uh, he said, where is he? He says he's in the mountains of, of East, uh, eastern Cuba. That's all he knew. And it was overrun by the Spaniards, and he, when, they, when he ended up, he got the message to Garcia and came back, and he said, sir, it's completed. They gave him no details. They gave him no explanation. They gave him no provision. They just said, do it. And the reason why they use this in the Naval Academy is because when a, uh, an order is given, oftentimes you'll say, hey, Grant, I'm going to need you to clean the aquarium for me. Okay, I need that done by tomorrow. Well, then Grant comes back, um, I, I don't know. Where do I get a Do I use a brush? Do I, Grant, if I had to explain it, I can just do it myself. Well, um, uh, do I have to, is part of it changing the pump, and do I have to do the filter? And, and I'm not sure, is it salt or fresh water, and, uh, and am I supposed to use bleach, or, I, you know, I'm not sure. And, and that was the same thing with this gentleman when he said, get the message to Garcia. There was a thousand questions he had, but he didn't burn, burden the leadership with asking. He just got it done. I'll figure this out. What he was saying is, when you've given me the task, it's off your shoulders and on mine. I'll get it done. Well, this is exactly what Barnabas did. The, the burden was on him. I'll find him. He didn't have any lead. He didn't have any direction. He just went out and searched for, for Saul, and he literally hunted him down. Uh, for a whole year, the church was assembled together, uh, and they, they taught a great many people. And so this, this church in Antioch, can you imagine being taught for a year by the Apostle Paul? I mean, that, that, it's no wonder they called them Christians for the first time. It was the center of great teaching, uh, it was, it was a, a hotbed of learning, and some of the greatest preachers came out of there. Uh, in the second century, you had Ignatius and Theophilus. In the third and fourth century, you had Lucian and Theodore Christosom uh, and Theodoret, which you know, Hughes writes this down. These were, these were the fathers of the faith in the early church, and they all came out of Antioch. All this was established by the discipleship of the Apostle Paul. And I would say to, to the men and women gathered, are you in a discipleship? And you say, well, I don't need discipleship. It's, it's foundational. Well, good for you. Good for you that you have the foundation established, but are you imparting it to somebody else? Couldn't you take time out of your day to impart that into somebody else's life? Get into a discipleship. I mean, well, I've already got what I want. The Apostle Paul can preach circles around you. And he's spending a year investing in the lives of the people of Antioch. Everywhere he went, he poured into them. I'm going to ask you tonight, who are you discipling? Don't answer it. And then who are you being discipled by? That's the church. This is necessary. This is what created a hotbed in Antioch. Uh, I've got a couple of minutes left. I'm almost finished. Um, hmm. You know, I, I wrote some of these down. Acts chapter 1, and this is, this is interesting how we came uh, about the term Christians, being called Christians to this day. Um, it's our, our first identity, I guess. I mean, a lot of us are called Protestants. Do you know why? A lot of folks don't know why we're Protestants as opposed to Catholics. Catholic means universal. Protestant means, are you ready for this? Protester. I'm a protester. 
And it has to do with Martin Luther, who protested the indulgences of the Catholic Church. And we broke away. That's why when I, get, when I offer communion, Catholics can't take it because I've lost the, from the Catholic perspective, I've lost uh, the apostolic authority to, to transubstantiation, turn the, the bread and the cup into the literal body and blood of Christ. I don't have that anymore because I'm of the following of Martin Luther. And he was excommunicated. But, but Catholics still consider us brothers and sisters, but they struggle with it and as we struggle with them. But we endeavor, right? We work through it. Um, Acts chapter 1, verse 15. Look it up. We're going to do this and we'll close with it tonight. Actually, we'll read the rest of the verses, but let me have some fun with this. We've got eight minutes. Acts chapter 1, verse 15. What were Christians first called? Yeah. Acts chapter 1, verse 15. Disciples. Disciples. That's the very first term you were ever given. So are you being discipled? Okay. Look at, uh, let's go to Acts chapter 5, verse 14. What were they called there? Believers. Try verse 32 of chapter 5. Huh? Witnesses. So you need a disciple. You need to believe. You need to witness. Why were they called disciples? Why were they called believers? Why were they called witnesses? Because they were discipled and they believed and they witnessed. Is that what the world calls you? I'm just asking. Uh, Let's go to chapter 6, verse 3. What were they called? Brethren, brothers, brethren is a better term. That means that they got along with each other like family. If the outside world looks at the church today, do they see a family or do they see just dysfunction? Or do they see shoppers? Or do they see giving units? Or do they see, you know, customers? Um, That was Acts chapter 6. Let's try Acts chapter 9. Verse 2. This was a derogatory term. They tried to mess with them. Followers of the way. You know, as derogatory, the world tried to, you know, jab them. You Jesus freaks. They, Jesus said, I am the, the truth and the life. So they are followers of the way. Look at, uh, look at verse 13, what they call them. Saints. There you go, Bailey. Saints, not ain'ts. And then we come here and we see that they're called Christians. Christians. Let's close with a, a simple prophecy of a man we know very little about, but he's actually... Very prophetic. He got it right twice. We don't know much about him. Um, Verse 27. And in these days, prophets came from Jerusalem to Antioch. Prophets, by the way. They're in the body of Christ. We have some here tonight. They just don't know it. Or maybe they do and they haven't exercised. Then one of them named Agabus. Sounds like Agnes. She's a prophetess. Then one of them named Agabus stood up and showed by the Spirit, that there was going to be a great famine throughout all the world, which also happened in the days of Claudius Caesar. It did happen. Then the disciples, each according to his ability, determined to send relief to the brethren dwelling in Judea, from each according to his ability to each according to his need. And who said that? From each according to his ability to each according to his need. Does anyone have a bill that needs to be paid tonight? Can't do it? Okay, who are the rich ones in the room tonight? Because we're going to take your money and give it to them. And some of you are going, no, you aren't. 
they're in that mess for reasons beyond my... Is there a famine in the land? Well, there's ungodly taxes. Well, how'd you run up that credit card? Well, I did this and I did... But you owe it to me because you have money. You should give it to me because you're rich. That's not what the text is saying. It's not communism. It's not communism. It's communism. You want something from the body of Christ? People come in and go, hey, I'm in a hotel. I'm going to be kicked out. I really need the church to help me out. I have never seen you before. You remember the congregation? No, but the church, you know, that's where you go and you need help. True, it is. But the help you need is not what you're asking for. Are you willing to receive the help you need so we can deal with the primary cause and then address the secondary issue? You're asking for help with the symptom, not the cause. I'd be happy to help you with the cause and then we can address the symptom. Can you come to church tonight? I don't have time to go to church. I just, I need to, I need to get out of my situation. In our weakness, God's strength is made perfect. God allows the rain to fall on the just and the unjust and and he, he, I, I don't want to get in the way of what he's doing to bring you to the end of yourself. So you go, that's cruel. Well, then if you say that, why don't you pay for their hotel? It's amazing how generous the government can be with somebody else's money. That's a third-party purchase, purchasing something for somebody else with somebody else's money. It's a waste is what it is. That's why we get $10,000 toilet seats. You know, and airplanes from government purchases, GOA. So in this case, it's not communism, it's communism. This is a move of the heart to another individual that is in desperate need that I have a relationship and affiliated with, and I know that it is genuine. If you really want to give to somebody step into the primary cause and understand it before you address the symptom. Do you want a doctor coming into the room and going, you are broken out in a rash and we're just going to slap stuff all over that and why don't you go on your way? But what's wrong with me? Don't know, but the itching will stop. Is that healthy? I've got a big lump on my side here. Well, we're going to cut that out and send you on your way. Why is it there? Don't know, but it does look weird. (laughs) My eyes are yellow. Wear white contacts. But it's jaundice, I think. And my liver may be shutting down. White contacts, move along. We've got taking care of the... You deal, if you're a doctor, you deal with the problem. The symptom reveals the problem. The only way that you can minister to the, to the primary concern is to spend time. That's why doctors spend time with their patients. They have to understand what is the problem. We see the symptoms. They're pointing to the problem. So in this case, the reason why it says that uh, each according to his ability determined to send relief to the brethren, brethren meaning fellowship, connection, understanding to the brethren dwelling in Judea. The reason why we're touched by Pastor Dongo and God Care School is because we've spent time with him. We know that it's a legitimate ministry. I've seen where the money goes. I've watched the way he lives. I've seen what he drives. The reason why we support uh, Pastor Fred Kimbangaya is because I've seen how he lives. I've seen how he deals with money. I've tested him. I I actually tested him one day. I was in Entebbe. We're finished. Last thing. I was in Entebbe. And I said to him, do you know a Pastor uh, Dongo? And, and he said, yes, I do, Lemuel Dongo. He says he, he, he lives in Kampala. I said, can you bring him to the pastor's conference? He says, I, 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 yes, I, I, would, I would love to, Pastor. I said, great. Here's $100 for the boda. Bring me the change. Actually, I didn't say that. I said, here's $100 for the boda. It's a, it's a Vespa. You sit on the back of it. It's, Violent way of dying. <laughs> and and uh, I, the next day he comes with, with Pastor Dongo and, and Pastor Kim, Kimbangaya, Fred Kimbangaya says, he's here, Pastor. I said, oh, I'm so happy to see you, Pastor Dongo. And he says, Pastor, could you have a moment? I walk over and he says, here's the change from the Boda. And I said, thank you, Pastor Fred. And I'm testing him a couple other times. And sure enough, he came out like gold. And, and when we support him, every penny goes to, to his, it's, it's called God Speak School. He named it. I didn't ask him to. 
And, and this is the idea. It's brethren dwelling in Judea, and this they also did and sent it to the elders by the hands of Barnabas and Saul. So the money was transferred from people that they trusted. And, you know, I, I closing tonight with this thought that you're not a brother or a sister in the Lord if you're, un, if you're untrustworthy. In the, in the sense that you come to me and you have a need, but if it's, if your life is the antithesis of what you're professing, it's not likely that we're going to invest in that. We're going to sit down and deal with the primary cause. And we have to address that with you. Why are you saying this and you're doing that? And, and that requires investing in lives and being transparent. And that's what a church is. And oftentimes people don't want to be a part of that because they don't want their lives to be examined, right? And so you bounce around. Well, this is what was so sweet about that early church is they were in it together.